Hi, this is Brandon Chintani from Mind Design Sports, and I'm here today with Josh Summers. Josh is an author, acupuncturist, and yoga instructor who lives in Boston, Massachusetts. He conducts teacher trainings, workshops, and retreats around the world. He's written numerous books about meditation and sports. In his latest book, The Power of Mindfulness, um, Mindfulness of Meditation, Training, and Sport, he demonstrates how mindfulness can help athletes optimize sports performance. He also has a free ebook titled Mindfulness in Motion. Today, Josh and I will be speaking about the meditation in general and the relation it has with the growth mindset in sports. Thank you for being here, Josh, and I'm excited to, I'm excited you're here to speak with us. Me too. Thanks for having me, Brandon. It's great yep. to meet you. I'm just going to jump right into questions, if that's okay with you. Sure, go ahead. Cool. So how are you doing? Can you tell us a little bit about your background and yourself? Sure. I'm doing pretty well, given the state of the world we're all dealing with right now. Um, you know, you covered a little bit of my background. Uh, I've... Uh, primarily been, since I got out of college 25 plus years ago, I've primarily been involved in um, exploring yoga and meditation um, as, as paths for personal transformation. And, um, and that got me into exploring acupuncture uh, about 20 years ago. And I've kind of, I've had a little bit of an unusual career in that I never set out to have a specific job. It just that work is sort of formed around these interests and I figured out a way to to put them together and, and support myself but um, it's been kind of a, a, a strange and meandering road along along the way got it and I know you're um, you have your own school where you teach yin yoga and you have some videos online and YouTube about it would mm -hmm. you mind telling the audience what that is exactly and how it differs from other types of yoga and meditation sure well um, the yin yoga is a practice that um, is like other forms of yoga that people, your listeners might be familiar with where you move the body through postures. Um, the difference with yin yoga is rather than moving quickly or holding the poses for maybe five breaths, in yin yoga you'll bring yourself into a pose and, and relax into the pose and stay more or less still in the pose for several minutes, anywhere from say four minutes up to maybe sometimes six or even ten minutes depending on the posture. Um, and the idea is that it's meant to be a complementary form of exercise. And I know it won't sound like exercise to your audience, but it's a, it isn't an exercise for a specific layer of tissue known as connective tissue or fascia. And it's the this is the cotton candy-like, not cotton candy, but sort of a gauze-like webbing of the body that that holds everything together. So if you if you dissect a or cut open an orange, you see that white pith around the the the, the wedges of orange mm -hmm. that you eat. It's that white pith that's the sort of the like the fascia of the orange that holds and binds everything together. And so in yin yoga, we come into a pose, and when you stay in a pose for a while and relax the muscles, then this layer of tissue gets to be targeted a little bit more. Um, and it, there's been some studies that show that uh, when people hold poses for a while, it decreases inflammation in the tissue and also helps hydrate the tissues more. So um, this is how I, I actually got into yin yoga because of my interest in meditation in that I had started going on longer seven or ten day silent meditation retreats in the early 2000s and I when I started meditating you know sitting in a cross-legged position on the floor on a cushion or kneeling on the floor on a cushion I found the sitting incredibly painful after 10 minutes you know or 15 or 20 minutes my, my foot would go to sleep or my back would start to hurt um, and that didn't really seem like a great thing to have happen while I'm trying to meditate and find inner peace, just to be sort of confronted by lots and lots of pain. 
So like any good student, I, I got online and started looking for ways to sit in meditation more comfortably. And that's when I, I found this, this style known as yin yoga, which um, the way it was described was that it, it said it prepared the body to be more comfortable as you sit because a lot of the resistance in the body is held in the connective tissue. And so if you never really work out that, that deeper tension, particularly in and around the joints, um, it just makes sitting meditation uh, quite, quite difficult. So I found the yoga, got into it. It, it, it also, there's a lot of theory that says when you stimulate the connective tissue, you're stimulating the biological tissue that some people believe is where the, uh, the energy channels of Chinese medicine are located. So the, 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 the greater concentration of flow of energy or qi in our body can be found in these particular planes or layers of connective tissue. And um, when I saw the synergy or the, the way that, that the yin yoga and the Chinese medicine that I was studying in the acupuncture school and meditation all came together, it was sort of a, a, a nice trifecta or merging of these three big interests that I had. Mm -hmm. So do you think that um, yin yoga is truly more comfortable and better than like other types of yoga? Well, actually, if we're, and it's good that you picked up on the word comfort there, Brandon, because the funny thing about this style is though, even though it's wonderful, it, it actually isn't so comfortable when you're doing it. And it, so it has a counterintuitive or contrary to what you might expect experience. Um, when you stay in a pose for a while and you're, you're in a mild stretch uh, for several minutes, that area that you're influencing or stretching starts to get, develop a dull ache. Mm -hmm. And the dull ache can make people fidgety, make them agitated, feel they can feel like they're restless. Um, but it, but uh, if you can tolerate, if the, if the student can tolerate that, and, and assuming that it's not too much stress or too much um, stretch on the tissue, just that it, we're sort of looking for the Goldilocks zone of a mild, moderate stress. If they can tolerate that, then when they come out of the pose and then when they get up and move around, they'll feel a, a deep release of tension um, that they wouldn't have expected based on the achiness that they felt while they're in the pose. So um, it, it's not that it's better than other styles of yoga. It's just that it, it's like the, the, the metaphor I give, and it's a little bit of a crude one. When you think of cleaning your teeth, you think of two things usually, right? The toothbrush that gets the surface of the teeth and in around the gums a bit, but then the flossing gets into those dark nooks and crannies that you that the toothbrush can't reach, right? And lots of active kinds of yoga are great on the, on the muscle level of the body and, and getting you to move and circulate your body and energy. Um, but at the deeper, harder to reach areas of the body, like in and around the joints and the hips and the low back, in the legs, it's harder to get those areas uh, with active yoga, and that's where the yin style is a balancing practice. It's sort of like the floss of your hygiene for your body. Oh, I see. Okay. And do you think, well, a lot of people know that meditation and yoga in general is good for high-stress environments like sports. So do you think yin yoga can apply for sports as well? Yeah, you know, there's, to answer that question, I would, I would take it, I would think about it on two levels. So there's the way yin yoga can help the body, and then there's, and, and, and sort of in, in terms of recovery from, from sort of training or sports performance. And then there's, I think, uh, the meditative, meditative level, which we can talk about, around working with your mind and your emotional reactions to what's happening in your body that you practice in yin yoga. And, you know, you know just like an athlete might 
practice a specific move in, in, a, in a practice session, where the, whether it's a, a layup or a free throw or a three-point or whatever. I'm not a basketball player, but there's certain moves that are and shoots, shots that the, that the athlete would practice with, right? Well, in, in yin yoga, you can see the practice of working with your emotions and your mental state, kind of like a practice. You're working, you're going to learning how to recognize them, learning how they, those, those energy states like with reactive states of anger or fear or self-judgment or criticism, how those emotional states can can come up in your experience and then how you can see them more clearly and in a way sidestep them so they don't overtake you or flood you or determine how you play, if that, if that makes sense. So there's there's really two those two levels. Yin yoga is is in a way good, really good for the body, but it also has this built-in quality of meditation practice in it just because you're in the pose for several minutes just like you are in a meditation posture for say a few minutes or 45 minutes whatever how long however long you sit um, you're in a posture and you get to look very closely at the interactions between your body and mind i see yeah that makes sense and for people that and kids that don't do meditation on the regular you said like it's not comfortable sometimes do you think that students can adapt to that in a week-ish or after a couple sessions or well it, yeah the, the the discomfort part of meditation usually has to has to relate to how their person is sitting how someone is trying to sit when they meditate if there's if they're doing a seated meditation and the, the, the issue that I see a lot is that some systems some styles of meditation are very specific about how you should sit like there's something special about the posture and in my opinion any posture will be good for meditation as long as it's comfortable and allows you to be reasonably upright and alert so it does, you don't have to be in a in like a pose where your legs are completely crossed like some pose called the full lotus where one foot comes onto the opposite thigh um, that's that requires a lot of hip rotation to be able to get into that and most bodies aren't able to do that ever it's not a question of tightness it's just a question of your bone shape so uh, when i teach meditation i really try to be very clear that it's not about looking right in the posture it's about finding a pose that is suited for the well suited for the person so they can sit they can be comfortable and relaxed but be upright and somewhat alert okay that's a good way to put it um, so I feel like many teenagers and kids get the misconception that meditation is for older people. Um, do you have any clients or people that you work with that are younger? Yeah, you know, well, um, to that question, I, I, you know, personally, I have not worked with younger clients, um, at least to my knowledge or the what I can remember. Um, there, there was a, a time when I, I was involved with coaching or helping to teach meditation to the women's soccer team at Boston University and um, and that's the how that was it was that that experience of working with the women's soccer team that became the basis for this book that you mentioned the mind the power of mindfulness that um, my colleague Dr. Amy Baltzell, who's a sports psychologist, or was a sports psychologist at BU, she oversaw the, the intervention that I did with the soccer team and um, basically did a study on it to see what the outcomes on, 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 in terms of how the, the, the players felt about their game and their performance as a result of doing the meditation. So that's sort of the youngest group I've worked with. Um, but for myself, you know, um, when I was real little, like in third grade, I started playing hockey. But um, 
as you might know, if you start hockey at this point in third or fourth grade, you're, you're kind of behind the curve because other kids start much earlier. They learn how to skate. So I learned to skate late. And because I wasn't a good skater, they, they, wanted, they said I should play goalie. So I was in a I was a goalie at a very early age and I was bad. I was I was so bad that my teammates and the the the, the parents of the team my teammates would be in the audience and they'd all yell at me every time the, the puck went into the net. You know, comments like your my grandmother can play better with you, like my teammates would say you can't stop a beach ball if you tried. You know, and I was just this little kid mm-hmm. um, trying to learn the game but getting a, like a lot of psych, like a psychological abuse in a way. And, you know, my father, who used to be a hockey player, kind of coached me a little bit. And he said, you need to develop a kind of a mind like with, with a shield of plexiglass in front of you so that whatever they say, it just hits the plexiglass and, and slides down. And so from a very early age, I, I had this appreciation that it's important to be able to have inner composure in a game or in a performance, regardless of what was happening. Like the, the ability to develop and cultivate inner composure in in very stressful or, or highly pressured situations was, was going to be very important. And then later, when I got into high school, I, I, I um, retired playing hockey, but I, I was very involved in music, which is another kind of performance. And, um, you know, I, I had this experience, it, it came up out of nowhere, but I had this experience that I felt like I stopped playing. I was playing my saxophone to a, 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 a song I was learning on the radio, and I just disappeared. Like the me that was playing was 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 not there at all anymore. There was just the sense of merging with this sound that was coming through me, and it felt absolutely blissful and perfect. And when it ended, I you know I was thinking to myself, "Holy smokes, what the what was that?" You know, it was like I got abducted for a moment or two. Um, but it was a, such a big, like a dramatic experience that it, it, it sort of captivated, captivated my imagination. Like, what would it be like to be able to access that state on a regular way when I wanted to? What if I could call up that state at will? What would, that, what would life be like that? And I'd say it was really that experience that set me on my course, that I started looking for a way to, to train up the ability to enter that state, which I later learned is what psychologists call the flow state. So when you're in a flow state, your sense of self, where you're thinking about how you're doing, or you're good enough, not good enough, are you making mistakes, all that kind of inner self-talk just goes offline. It goes quiet, and all that's left is the sense of the experience that's just happening by itself, and it's happening in a, in a very positive, good way. Um, and, and that's sort of what Amy and I in the book, uh, Power of Mindfulness, looked at how mindfulness can help be a way, or mindfulness meditation can be a way to sort of train up the ability to enter flow more easily. So that was qu- not quite the quite answer to the question you asked, but I, don't, I haven't had experience with younger kids, although I can imagine it would be very um, beneficial for children at all ages to be able to you know look into themselves, get familiar with what kind of emotional states come up, how to acknowledge them, but not be defined or sort of imprisoned by a mental emotional state. I see. And do you think that meditation and yoga helped you develop that um, flow state? Yeah, I do, actually. I mean, it, 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 it took a while. And that's, that's you know, one of the, the harder things about 
developing a meditation practice or a yoga practice. Yoga is a little bit different because you do yoga, you, you stretch the body out and you'll feel better right after you do it. Everybody comes to a yoga class, they do their, they go through the, the, the flows, they go through the postures and at the end they always feel smoother, calmer, more relaxed, content. Um, with meditation, uh, because you're, it doesn't, in, like the, at least with a sitting meditation, because it doesn't move the body as much, um, it can be it can take longer before the practitioner the person meditating really starts to see or perceive the benefit there's sort of a, a way that everyone wants instantaneous results like i meditated once i should be able to not have this stress right now but mm -hmm. it's it's really more of a um i, I, I one way to look at meditation is it's it, it's like a, a a form of mental hygiene so I, I used the example of brushing your teeth before but when i work with um sometimes with athletes or when I work with businesses, one of the things I often ask is, you know, when you get up today to go to work or go to school, how many of you took a bath or a shower? Or how many took a shower bath last night before, you know, going to bed? And usually all hands go up. Everybody washes themselves on a regular basis because that's that kind of physical hygiene is the bare minimum to be a, a sort of a socially acceptable person. You imagine what it would be like how much yeah. ostr how much ostracism you'd experience if you'd stop bathing. You know, it wouldn't your life wouldn't go so well. And when people agree to that or acknowledge that, then I say, well, the thing that the very thing that is driving the ship in your life that is your mind, your your mind, the state of your mind, the ability of your mind to focus, the ability of your mind to see clearly what's happening, the quality of your attention determines the, the, the overall direction that your life is moving or how you engage and in, interact with anything and given that there's that the mind has such a central role in how we live it simply makes rational sense to train it to be better to be clearer to be more accurate, per, clear perception and um, to to be less reactive to things so um, I, I think it's a it's not it's not a practice that comes easily at the beginning for some people, but it really is an important thing that I think everybody could benefit from doing in some form. Now it doesn't need to be in a sitting meditation, but some inner form where you inner practice where you get familiar with how you think, what your reactions tend to be, so that you can start to catch those, particularly in a game situation, so they don't overrun you or control you. Yeah, I agree. Like meditation is a process that you need patience with. Yeah. And, um, up until this point, we've been talking about meditation, and we mentioned that we would talk about growth mindset. So, what is the growth mindset, and how can athletes develop that with meditation and yoga? Yeah. So, I love this question. Thanks for bringing it up. Growth mindset. Um, first, I should say this is this is a sort of a theory that's developed out of the work of a, a psychologist named Carol Dweck. Her last name is D W E C K. And, and um, anybody listening should check out her work. She's really a fascinating woman. Um, but she, in her research, differentiates between two basic mindsets that people can have. And you could define a mindset as sort of a, an orientation to the world. Like, how do you orient yourself? How do you think? Of, how do you see yourself as being capable? And um, she contrasts a growth mindset, which I'll define in a second, she contrasts the growth mindset to a fixed mindset. And a fixed mindset is, is the mindset I think most people, at least I had this when I grew up, it was a fixed mindset where I thought of my, my talents as being innate to me. Meaning, 
like I was either good at math or I wasn't good at math. That's a fixed mindset. I'm good at music or I'm not good at music. I'm an athlete, I'm not athletic. So when you define yourself in a fixed way, you're good or you're not good, that, that, that's what she means by a fixed mindset. And then she found that she could, she could actually sort of trigger people to get outside of the, the fixed mindset where they're defined by a, an idea about who they are. And she could trigger them to be in more of a growth mindset. And in the growth mindset, you, the person isn't defined by what they think there are. They're more defined by their ability to put effort into learning, i.e. growing. So where this comes up is, uh, let's say, give a very common example. Let's say an athlete, a tennis player, uh, plays a game and they lose. And they could feel like, well, the, the, the failure to win the game means that they're a bad tennis player. They could, they could kind of collapse into that, that negative self-talk that I'm not good, I sh I'm never going to be good, and I should just quit today. So they take the experience of losing and let that define how they see themselves in a fixed way. But if someone, if an athlete were to have a growth mindset, the, 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 the growth mindset athlete would, would experience the loss not as a, as, a, as a final statement about who they are. They would take the loss as an opportunity to learn about what they were doing that was causing them to lose. Like, where am I, where in the game am I actually making mistakes? Where can I make some improvement? So they don't get all defensive about it. They don't get embarrassed about it. They don't feel shame. They just know they can put more effort into learning about how they made that mistake and then get better. And that, I think, is if, if the sooner that anybody, not just an athlete, but the sooner that anybody in their life can realize that growth mindset is available to everybody, and you can, and it's trainable. You can learn and ha and, and and develop a way to prime yourself to be more in a growth mindset. So when something bad happens, or when you make a mistake, or you fail at something, which happens to everybody in life, everybody's going to make mistakes. You can't get through life without making mistakes. But if every time you make a mistake, you remember, oh, there's a learning opportunity here. I don't have to be defined by the mistake. I can actually use the mistake to be a way to I can learn to become better. And the connection I made around meditation, to come back to the meditation piece, is that the reason why I think mistakes feel so bad or, or so difficult is, is, is what I just said, sorry. They, 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 because mistakes feel so bad, they flood the body with, with difficult emotion. Like you feel it in your gut or you feel it in your heart pounding or something like that. You feel it viscerally in your body when you make a mistake. That feels so bad and that leads you to, like, can, can, can really uh, tilt you to feeling like you shouldn't do it anymore or you're not very good at it, you should just give up. So the connection with meditation is that meditation, in a way, will train your ability to tolerate difficult sensations. Similar to what I was saying in yin yoga, when you learn to tolerate that ache in your body, to not run away from it, to not uh, try to ignore it, but to actually stay present to it and not be defined by it, that's a training of be becoming okay with discomfort. And the more you can, someone can become okay with discomfort, the more they're less, I should say, the less they're going to be defined by that discomfort and they'll be, be better able to decide how they want to respond in more of a growth mindset way. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's kind of impressive that meditation can um, help you develop that growth mindset. Well, you know, can I tell you how it's going to do that too? Yeah. 
So, you know, you know, I don't know if your listeners will know this, but, um, you know, in meditation, a very common instruction is something, is something like this. They'll say, focus on your breath or focus on your body. When your mind wanders, bring it back to your breath or body. Mm-hmm. Now, when you, you can do this, you, any of your listeners can try to do this for a minute or two minutes. And in that short period of time, you will see that you, you bring your attention to your breath. You feel, might feel it in your, in your chest or your belly. You feel the breath. And then suddenly, without your planning to do anything, your mind drifts off. In, in a certain sense, that's the mistake in meditation, when your mind drifts off. Now, I don't think of it as a mistake, but a lot of people interpret it as a mistake. They feel like, oh, my mind wandered. The monkey mind swung into another branch of thought. Now I'm thinking about, I've been hijacked or or carried away by my thinking. Now I have to come back to my breath. So if someone were practicing meditation with a fixed mindset, every time their mind wandered, that would be evidence that they were failing to meditate. I see. But if they practice with a growth mindset and they actually go into the meditation with the intention of developing this growth mindset, every time their mind wanders, they can say, okay, what happened here? Now let me see if I can catch it more quickly, as an example. So you learn to tolerate the, the, the way that your mind, quote unquote, makes that mistake, but in tolerating it, you're actually developing more, more ability to tolerate mistakes in life, which lets you be more open, more relaxed when they happen. You don't have to feel defensive and blame it on your teammate or blame it on the coach or blame it on your poor night's sleep. You can say, oh yeah, that happened. Now let me learn from it. Yeah, and that's a great way to develop the um, growth mindset, like doing meditation at the same time. It's almost doing like two things at once. And, yeah, um, well, it's yeah, it's a facet of the meditation process. It's mm-hmm. like it's like when you, um, what would it be like, I guess, I'm trying to think of an example, where you, you do one thing and, and um, lots of good benefits come from it. Like going just going for a walk, let's say. Going for a nice walk, you get relaxed, you also get fresh air, you get some sunshine. There's lots of facets to that dynamic. Got it. And moving on to your books, um, I know there's an emphasis on optimizing sports performance. Um, can you talk about like the like any highlights of the book that you'd like to share? Yeah, I mean the the thing that was very um, interesting to us when we did the study on the women's soccer team was just how much the the athletes felt they were finally able to. Um, shift out of difficult emotions when they came up in the game. You know, prior to the meditation training, when they then when they got yelled at by a coach or a teammate, they made a bad play or something happened that they didn't want to have happen. Prior to the training, when that would happen, they would feel kind of overwhelmed by the negative emotion, and it would be very hard to, for them to get back into the zone. And uh, and so we wanted to design a meditation training system where someone could practice and kind of prepare themselves to be better able to handle difficult emotions when they come up in the game and give them training or skill sets for what to do when the emotion comes up so they could feel it in their body, uh, relax the body a bit, and then focus back on what they were doing in the game, get back into the activity that would, would, was at hand, if, you know, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And why did you decide to write about mindfulness in sports as opposed to other areas? Of high stress, like taking a test. Yeah, I mean, that was that. That was one of those. The, the reason we wrote on the reason I got involved with writing about sports was more just 
um, kind of a, a lucky convergence of, of, of uh, events where um, you know, I mentioned I had just been teaching yoga and, and meditation, not in, in an athletic uh, context, but um, a friend of mine in the yoga world, her sister was this sports psychologist at BU. So the sports psychologist, Dr. Amy Beltzell, brought me into some of her classes on positive psychology to talk about mindfulness. And the more I got talking to her and showing up to her classes to give guest talks, she wanted to co collaborate with me. And that's when we, we got into doing the study on the BU women's soccer team. Um, and then when the results from that came back, and it was really the first study of division one, mindfulness for Division One athletes, um, she just she wanted to put that put all that information into a book for athletes and coaches to work with. Got it. And um, do you have any main tips for people that are new to meditation and yoga that they should keep in mind during the process? With meditation. The, uh, the first tip I would give is that thinking is not a problem because most people, and I've been teaching for 20 years now, most people come into meditation with the assumption that you can't think while you're meditating or if you meditate, you're failing to meditate. And my view is that uh, you can allow thinking and you can get to become more familiar with the way that you think in meditation and it's not something you have to stop to be successful. And it's not something you have to you have to get rid of. Um, and, the, and the more that people can be gentle and kind and friendly to their mind as the mind thinks, I think the more straightforward the meditation practice will develop. Um, so that's my tip on meditation. And then um, my tip about yoga would be that a lot of times people think yoga is about like stretching the body and putting the body into a pretzel. You know, you think of yogi yoga practitioners who can put their leg behind their head, or you know, stand on their head, or do a back bend where they hold their ankles behind their body. Um, they think of these kind of postures that look like a contortionist. And if I could say one tip about yoga is that it's not about how far you can stretch your body. It's really a question of how you can get into your body, feel your body, and and learn how your body moves, learn how your body. Can, be, can release tension, um, and and it's a, it's a support to overall health, but not to look like a contortionist. So oftentimes when, I, when I've been teaching, uh, people can come into yoga with a kind of a, literally a competitive mindset, like they want to go deeper and further and farther than before, and um, I, I spend a lot of time just trying to explain that that's not what you're trying to do, that what you're trying to do is learn how to be fully present to your body, take it to an appropriate edge where you feel some stretch, but it's not aggressive or injurious or causing injury. Um, and that will help, you know, balance your overall being so that you're in a, a better position to, uh, to do what you're doing in life, whether in this case, performance. Got it. And with those tips, would you mind giving us like a five minute guided meditation of any sort that you think is great? Sure. Do you mind if I kind of direct it to you when we do this? Yeah, of course. Okay, so how are you sitting right now, Brandon? I'm in a chair and at a desk. Okay, so in the chair, I just say sit forward to the front of the, of the seat a little bit so that you're not leaning back against the, the back of the seat. So your spine has to be more or less upright a little bit through okay. your muscular. And then, you know, sitting reasonably straight, let your hands just rest on your lap. You can close your eyes if you'd like, or some people like to keep their eyes... Uh, open for a little, like a soft open, 
Um, so you're softly looking at the uh, spot on the table in front of you or at the floor in front of you. Um, you're not looking around, but just sort of having a steady, soft gaze on something in front of you. So either eyes open or eyes closed. And then once you find yourself sitting comfortably, just give yourself permission to relax some. So let your body relax through your face. Let your eyes and cheeks and jaw relax. Let your chest and arms relax. And as you enter the meditation, one of the things I try to remember people, remind people of is that meditation isn't about changing your experience. So it's not about having a specific thing happen. You're not trying to get to something. You're not trying to get away from something. You're trying to connect with what is happening for you. So there's no, the only experience to have as you meditate is the one that you're having right now. So you can feel your body. And then what I would encourage you to try doing is just let your, let your attention settle for a moment or two onto your hands. And as you tune into feeling your hands, you probably feel a tingling or some warmth or the point of, points of contact with your hands in your lap. And just feel whatever sensations you notice in your hands. And this experience of your hands is something I'll refer to the, as the perch. This is the, the perch of your attention, where you let your attention rest. And then as you let your attention rest on the hands, you'll probably notice there's sounds in your environment. You'll probably feel other sensations in your body. And you'll probably notice that your mind thinks. And for some people, the, the, the experience of watching their mind think on its own can be uncomfortable. It can feel uncomfortable because oftentimes we have a sense that when we think, it's, we're thinking, we are the ones that are thinking. But when you start to meditate, when you relax into your body and feel your hands, as I'm suggesting, and you more or less intend to keep your attention with your hands, like focus your attention on the hands, you'll find that the mind just starts thinking on its own. It's like a, a radio station that turns on or a, or a playlist that turns on, on its own. And that can be a little weird at first. Like, wait a minute, how did that happen? How did my mind start thinking? But this is a very, very important first insight to realize that a lot of times our thinking is, is generated by itself, meaning the brain spits out thought just like your, your, your heart might pump blood, but it's not necessarily happening because you intend it to happen. And that's okay. We want to see that. So just as you sit with me, Brandon, just let your attention rest on your hands. Relax through your body. And try to stay with your sensation in your hands, but... When you notice yourself thinking, I want you to tag, like, I want you to make a silent mental note of, of just repeating the word thinking, thinking. So when you notice yourself thinking, you'll just label it. Oh, thinking, thinking. There's a soft, silent label. And after you've labeled the thinking, 
let your attention come back to the experience of your hands. So you turn your attention back to the felt sensation of your palms. You try to stay with your hand sensation. And as and when you notice yourself thinking again, just label thinking, thinking. It's like you catch the thought on the end of your fishing rod and you just label it. Oh, that's a that's that's thinking. I know that. Thinking, thinking. Like I know that kind of fish. Thinking, thinking. Catch and release the thoughts and let your attention come back to your hands. I'm going to let you do that for a little bit longer, but for the next few moments, pay particular attention to how you note thinking and be, become interested if there's any judgment about the, the fact that you're thinking, any, any sort of self-criticism when you notice the thinking. And if there is that judgment or self-criticism, try to soften the tone of that voice. Try to allow yourself to experience, notice that you're thinking without, without the judgment or criticism. So that's the basic form of the, of the meditation, is to focus on something, notice when your mind moves off what you're focusing on, to recognize that, and then to gently bring your attention back to your hands or to your breath. So I'm going to stop now, but how did that go for you, Brandon? It was good. Um, I actually do really feel relaxed, and like my shoulders and my mouth is like feels less tense. Oh, great. Yeah, did it was you, good. Did you notice your mind wander and start thinking? I was just acknowledging that my whole body was feeling less tense. That was oh, the good. only thing I was thinking about. So that's that your mind. Okay, so that's good. So in that case, what happened was it sounds like your mind got absorbed in the relaxation, and that's great. If that happens, just go into it. Just let yourself sort of. It's like a, a bath of relaxation that you can create yourself. Got it. So, um, for these younger athletes that are busy and always at practice in sports, where do you think, like, what day? And is at night, do you think they could implement yoga and meditation, or is it right when you wake up? You know, that's a great question, and, and people ask that all at, for all ages. What's the best time of day? How many times a day, or how many times a week should we do it, and how frequently, and all that? And, you know, I don't know if you know this about physical training, but there's, there's often a debate about what's the best exercise someone should do? Is it a is it, a, is it a squat? Is it a deadlift? Is it a pull-up? Is it a bench press? What's the best exercise to do? And a lot of people answer the, that question by saying, the best exercise to do is the one you're going to do regularly. <laughs> you know, whatever you do, as long as you do it, that's good. Um, so with, with meditation and yoga, I really suggest that people try things in the morning, see how that makes them feel during the day. Try things in the evening, see how that makes them feel. Everybody's going to be a little bit different in how they respond to these practices. Um, and I, I just encourage, just like, you know, as the example I gave before, some people like to take their shower in the evening, some like to shower the first thing in the morning. Um, different strokes for different folks. And the idea is that 
some of the per the student would want to sort of customize the practice for themselves. But in general, it's a good idea to pick kind of a, a specific time that you're going to commit to for a while, just to just to build the habit. So for me, that's always been the morning. I like to practice meditation in the morning, and in the evening, I like to do my yoga practice more to to relax at the end of the day. So in the mornings, when you feel really tired, have you ever found yourself almost going back to sleep when you try to meditate? Yes. In fact, sleepiness is like feeling tired and going to sleep um, is one of the very challenging energies that 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 um, people that meditate discover and and, and have to deal with. Um, and it's not a problem really. It's just that it's 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 part of the training. Um, and as and part of the reason I think that happens is that. For the things that you just mentioned, after when you meditated, you remember how you said you felt so relaxed in your shoulders and your arms and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, like it's when you relax. The only other context that we normally have of relaxing is when we go to sleep. So we we we've, we've coupled the the experience with of relaxation with going to sleep. Usually when we're in bed, but it's possible, and this is what the meditation starts to teach us, is that it's possible to be very relaxed and also very re alert very awake but it's a practice to learn that just like practicing a violin is a practice to learn how to make nice beautiful music with the violin rather than making scratchy uh, horrible sounds of the violin um, so in the course of learning the practice to meditate many 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 people I don't know anybody that doesn't experience this but many people will, will go through phases when they get very very tired and sleepy and drowsy almost like they've been drugged to go to sleep and it's just a phase in, of the of the of the training territory. Everybody will go through it. So if that happens in the morning, you know you might uh, you know splash some cold water in your face first before you meditate, or you might um, have a cup of tea to give you a little caffeine hit to wake you up a little bit, which is common in some of the the Buddhist monasteries that I practice in. The monks will have a cup of coffee or some tea, green tea, to to keep them alert. Um, but you know it's okay to get up in the morning and you know uh, have your breakfast, take a shower, go for a run or something, and then come back once you're a little more energized and, and then spend maybe 10, 15 minutes uh, with your meditation. I see. That's great advice. Um, do you have anything else you want to add on to? You know, the only thing that I, I think you had um, wondered about some books to recommend to people and. Um, uh, there was a, a really good book by a sports psychologist named George Mumford. Have you heard of George? Yeah, he um, is a sports psychologist for like Kobe Bryant and MJ, right? Yeah, so so the, the, the basketball coach, Phil Jackson, hired George Mumford yeah. uh, when, 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 when uh, uh, what's his name? I just forgot his name. The coach, uh, Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson. Phil, so before Kobe... When Phil Jackson was with the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan's era, that's when that's when George Mumford started working with him. So uh, he coached Michael Jordan, coached Kobe Bryant. I think he's now or has been involved with the Knicks. If Phil Jackson's still there, I don't even remember. But um, he's written a wonderful book called *The Mindful Athlete*. So George's book would be a, you know a good book for folks to check out. Um, there's also a really good meditation book that I think. Uh, it's like high school, middle middle school kids could appreciate called Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics, and that's a, a book by Jeff Warren. Um, 
And that, that, what I like about that is it has many different styles of meditation, different techniques of meditation that are, are really clearly explained um, that, that can be uh, very easily used and developed in, in someone's personal practice. Um, and then the other book is not so much about meditation, but it's about developing talent in the way that this, the theme of growth mindset that we talked about um, would, would encourage. And it's a book uh, that I, I felt, I wish I had this book back when I was in high school. I discovered it in my mid-30s, but it totally changed the way I thought about things. And it's called The Talent Code. Uh, Talent Code. And that, that sort of really teaches people that talent is not something you have necessarily when you're born. It's something you grow through training. And it, and it sort of goes through all the pieces of what makes good training the training that's going to build your talent to become excellent. And that applies to athletes but, or musicians. It really applies to anything in life. Is how, do you, how do you build your own talent? And I, I thought that was an outstanding book by Daniel Coyle. I've heard of all those books, and I'm sure they're great. Um, do you, would you recommend your own book for younger athletes? You know, I, the, the, the book that Amy and I wrote, The Power of Mindfulness, um, it's it's it was written sort of in a university academic style, geared towards more collegiate athletes oh, okay. and and coaches that would use our system of meditation training for their own teams. So, you know, you know, you you sound very bright to me. So I think you could probably do well with it, um, but it might be a, a a book that's a little bit more sophisticated you know, for more of a collegiate level. Um, but the, the books that I, I mentioned, I, particularly the Meditation for Fidgety Skeptics and the Mindful Athlete, those would be um, great for, for younger folks to read. They're, they're very easy reads. Yeah, I'll link those books below and your uh, social media and website. Yeah. And, um, well, that's all my questions. And thanks again for being here. I'm sure our audience will appreciate all your information. And, yeah. Thanks so much, Brandon. I really enjoyed talking to you. Me Wish too. Wish you all the best. You too. Good luck. Thanks so much.